morning, Purpose Church, and happy Mother's Day. Um, our ushers are going to uh, receive our offering this morning as I begin my talk. Um, if you're here for the first time and you're just visiting, please don't feel obligated to participate in our offering. This is just a way for us who are regular members and attenders here just to joyfully give back to what the Lord has given to us. Um, well, it is Mother's Day, and it's so exciting to be able to share with you guys this morning. And one thing um, I've noticed as I become a parent, become a mom, is how different parenting styles are. Um, my husband, Chris, and I, we have two boys. Um, in August, Christian will be five, and Cruz will be two. And um, I tend to be the worry war. I tend to be the kind of the nervous mom, always worrying about my boys. If something's going to happen to them, they're playing too rough. And my husband's the one that's like very, definitely more relaxed. And he's always saying, don't worry about it. They're fine. They're just boys. They're just playing. It's just dirt, you know? So um, I've noticed that we are just different in how we parent our kids. And um, a while ago, um, I was inside the house, and I hear from outside my son Christian, he's the older one, yell, Mom, Mom, hurry, run outside, come watch me, I'm going to jump off the roof onto the trampoline. And so I'm inside the kitchen, and you know when a million things go through your head at once, and so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to slip and fall off the roof. He's going to fall onto the concrete. He's going to crack his head open. And then the next thing that goes through my head is, wait a minute, how did he get up on the roof? And then where's my husband? Because my husband was outside with him. And so, of course, I run outside, and there he is very proudly standing on not the roof, but the patio cover. So don't think we're like the worst parents in the world. So the patio cover is a little bit lower than the roof. And then there's my husband, just as excited as him, the one who put him up on the roof to begin with. And he says, are you ready? Are you ready? My son, or my husband says to my son, are you ready? And he says, yes, daddy. And my husband gives him the big, ready, set, go. And he does a couple runs and he jumps off the, uh, the patio cover, lands on the trampoline, does a big bounce, comes down again, lands and says, mom, did you see me? And I said, yes, son, I saw you. I'm so proud of you. You were so brave. And you know, these are the moments that happen actually quite often in my household, which is probably why I'm a little bit fearful. Um, but you know what? The, um, the scripture talks to us about how, what we can do with our fears, because we do have these fears of not being able to protect our kids. And they can be things like that, or they can be definitely bigger issues as our kids get older and move into young adulthood and adulthood. Um, and so Max Lucado writes in his book, Fearless, we can take our fears to Christ or we can take them out on our kids. Um, and there are two ways that usually we take them out on our kids. The first is that we're overprotective. So, you know, the overprotective parents that like wrap their kids in bubble wrap, this is totally me, slather them with sunscreen, put hand sanitizer all over them all the time. Maybe you do background checks on your kids' friends, never let them leave the house, okay? Or maybe the overly permissive parents, and sometimes this is a reaction to living in an overprotective household, but you know, we don't want to stifle our kids' creativity and and their personalities. And so maybe we give lots of hugs and high fives, but we really lack the, um, the discipline that maybe is needed. And so those are two ways that we could respond to that. But how do we avoid these extremes and handle our fears is we run to the only one who can handle them, and that's Jesus. 
So in Mark 5, let's look at um, the example of a, of a parent, of a father in Scripture, how he took his fears to Jesus. So Jairus in Mark chapter 5, let me just set the stage. So he was the leader of the synagogue. He was responsible for the services, kind of like an elder board or in leadership at, a, at well, now we have a church. Um, he would have been one of the most important, respected men in the entire community. He had a 12-year-old daughter who was dying. And according to Jewish custom, a woman reached adulthood when she was 12 years old in one day. So I feel like the writer, Mark, is trying to emphasize that what, how, how terrible this is, how tragic that this little girl will never experience adulthood. And so we pick up in verse 21. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So the first thing that I noticed that Jairus did is that he disregarded presumptions. You know, Jesus was regarded as an outsider, a heretic. He was teaching blasphemy. So he might have um, been doubted. Um, Jesus might have been seen as a threat by the other synagogue leaders. Um, Jairus' daughter was near death. It was presumed that there was no hope for her. You know, what are our, our presumptions today? You know, we may have preconceived notions um, that keep us from going to Jesus. Maybe our young adult children have made choices that have really pulled them far away from the Lord. Maybe choices that have affected their lives in such dramatic ways, and we almost feel like it's too much for Jesus to handle. Or maybe you feel like your fears are too small. You know, in my situation, we have young kids, and there's often these little fears all the time. And sometimes it seems like, oh, maybe this is just a part of life, a part of parenting, and it's too small to take to Jesus. Um, one of the issues we've been dealing with with our five-year-old is fear that he has of being dropped off and left at school or at different places. Just, that, just some sort of anxiety that has developed in him. And my husband and I realized, we kind of talked about it and thought, oh, maybe this is just a phase he's going through. And we realized this is a fear that we need to take to the Lord. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we are running to Jesus, giving this fear to him. And it's this peace that we're seeking for our son. So the second thing I noticed about Jairus is that he disregarded his pride, cast off pride. You know, he was the synagogue community leader. He normally would be the person that others go to and ask for something of him. And yet here he is throwing himself at the mercy of Jesus out of desperation because his daughter is dying. He believed that Jesus had the power to perform the miraculous. Um, We offer a faith-based 12-step program here at our church called Celebrate Recovery. And the first step of the 12 steps is admitting you are powerless over your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. And this first step is crucial for successful recovery. My friends that are part of Celebrate Recovery say, if you can't do step one, you can't do steps two through 12. Because it all hinges on casting aside your pride, admitting that you have an issue that you need God's help to deal with, and you need to do that in community with other people. 
The third thing that I noticed that Jairus does is that he disregarded people. And what I mean by that is people's opinions, what they thought of him. And if you think about it, why did he go alone to Jesus? Where were his friends? This was, this was a culture where your family and your community was everything to you. So you would have done something together with other people. But his extended family was laughing at him. They were mocking him. And verse 35, we read, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, and, the, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Can you believe that? First, Jairus' household, his community, laughed at him, at Jairus, for even having the faith the craziness, the desperation to go to Jesus. And now they're laughing at Jesus, mocking Jesus. So what does that mean to disregard people or what people think of us in our, in our current culture? You know, we live in a culture that emphasizes putting your life on display through social media. Um, we post lots of pictures of ourselves, put updates of how we're doing. And you know, if we were honest, we would say we usually only put flattering pictures of ourselves. We usually only um, post the cool things that we're doing. If we have kids, it's usually things that our kids are doing that are really cute. You know, and so we we put up a face on social media of how we are and how our lives are. And one, one app on social media that's really popular is called Pinterest. And I don't know if anybody uses it, but it's this app where you can kind of digitally pin things that you like. So in the olden days, we might cut something out of a magazine and pin it to a corkboard, and now we can do it digitally. And so you can pin decorating tips, and you can pin, um, you know, fashion and recipes and do-it-yourself projects. This is my friend Jennifer's Pinterest page, and she always pins the most beautiful party displays and cakes. And I have to remind myself, she's a professional. She's a, a party planner. And so I can't, like, always expect my, my pins or what I'm doing to live up to this. But sometimes people have tried these pins that they've seen on Pinterest, and they have failed. And so it's kind of become this movement, if you've seen this, where people post their Pinterest fails. So I thought I would share some of these funny ones with you guys. So this is a a baking experiment. This is a little mermaid cake. (laughs) And obviously it was a Pinterest fail. This is a, a cake pop. I think it's supposed to be a baby chick. And this next one is a minion cake. (laughs) It looks terrible, right? Um, And then these are fun. These are like, people post cool pictures you can take with your babies. So this is a baby pumpkin. (laughs) Next one, this is baby gumdrops. And this is baby lipstick kisses. (laughs) All the babies look so unhappy. It's so funny, right? Um, But basically what these Pinterest fails, what people are doing when they post this is they're saying, 
I don't care what people think of me. Like, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm not trying to, to um, live up to a certain expectation or, or put a certain thing out on display on social media. And they're, and they're saying, we're going to stop worrying what other people think of me. And so it's the same with going to Jesus with our fears. We have to just cast aside our pride and go to Jesus with our fears for our kids. So in conclusion, back to to Mark chapter 5, picking up at verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You see, Jesus was not just a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. So going to God with our fears, it opens the door to release his power. So when we are powerless, we must put our confidence in the divine power of God. Jairus threw off his fear in the midst of his hopelessness and put his trust in God. Nothing we face, even illness and death, is too much for Jesus. But, you know, this is a really dramatic story. And when we're faced with hopeless situations, it can be actually easier to put our faith in Jesus. But what about the everyday circumstances? Those are usually more challenging. How do we protect our children from eating unhealthy foods, from negative peer influences, from students who are bullying them? We can't protect them from all pain, but we can direct our fears to Jesus, the one who heals and protects and restores. At the beginning of my talk, I shared with you the story of my son, Christian, jumping off the patio cover. And I realized part of why he's so fearless, part of why he had the courage to do that, is because dad was standing right underneath him. And he knew that if he did trip and fall, that my husband would be there to catch him. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. He's he's standing there saying, run to me with your fears because I've got you. I've got your back. Bring him to me. So as I close, would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that we fear for our kids. We acknowledge, Lord, that you, though, are who we should run to. And Jesus, we know that in you we can have the confidence and be fearless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we were at a party for my husband's work, and as soon as we walked in, we knew we were in trouble. You see, this party, we had a three-year-old daughter with us and a two-year-old son, and this party was round a pool that had no gate around it. So my husband and I immediately strategized, and he was going to go talk with some of the faculty that he works with, and I was going to be with the kids, and a bunch of the kids and the moms were down by the pool, and one of the moms had brought out a bunch of little ride-on cars and little push carts for kids, and so we were all down there, and my daughter, she spotted the electric pink Barbie car. Now, we do not have one of these. Do you guys, have you seen this? It's a Barbie car, and you can push the pedal, and it makes it go. So she got in this, and we practiced a few times, and so she figured out how to make it go and how to make it stop, and we practiced, and we were good to go. So I strapped my two-year-old into one of the little push car things, and we started doing our laps around the pool with all the other kids and all the other moms, and we were having a great time. It was fun. And um, I had both of them kind of in front of me so I could watch them, but somewhere along one of the laps, um, my daughter got behind me, And so just as we were turning the corner and I was pushing my son around the corner, I heard splash. 
And that pink Barbie car drove right into the pool. And I have to tell you, those swimming lessons that I had been paying for did not pay off because she went straight down to the bottom of the pool. So I immediately pushed my son away from the pool. And in my cute little heels and my cute little dress, I jumped right into that pool down to the bottom and pulled my girl up. Now, she was fine. Everybody was fine. The pink Barbie car wasn't quite as fine. But my daughter and I were fine. And it just happened so quickly. And it just made my heart pound. And I remember later that night thinking, oh, dear Lord, it is so scary to be a parent. Now, my husband and I have four children. Um, We have a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old right now. And um, they are such a blessing, and we love these people more than any other person on the earth. It's just amazing how a parent's heart can just have this huge amount of love. But I just remember thinking every time we came home from the hospital with one of these precious, beautiful little infants that they put in our arms, and they expected us to know what to do with them. We're like, Lord, what do we do? It is so scary to be a parent. They have to eat every two hours, and they cry all the time, and there's no use manual. I mean, how do you figure these things out? And um, how do you expect us to figure these things out, especially with no sleep? I mean, whose idea was this to raise children like this? I mean, be honest, right? If you have brought babies home, this is what you were thinking. How am I going to keep this child alive? Um, And then they do things like they start crawling, and then they start walking, and you have to figure out how to get them not to walk away from you, right? You don't want to lose them. Now, I have misplaced, okay, maybe I've lost two of my children at one time or another. Um, My first one was my daughter, and we were in a store, and um, I had gone one way, and I didn't notice she went the other way, but I pretty much heard her. She started screaming and crying immediately that she couldn't find me, and so I was able to run to her and find her, and we were okay. Now, the other one that I lost was my son, and this was at an event, and, you know, he just kind of wandered away, and I didn't know where he went, and I just looked around, and I figured I'd find him. You know, I just kind of kept walking around, and I walked around, and I didn't see him, and I walked outside, and I didn't see him, and so then that feeling starts to happen inside you, like, where's my child? So then I started asking some of the other moms, have you seen him? And they're like, no, didn't you? I thought he was right here. So then it starts to grow a little bit, and I started kind of running around a little bit looking for him, and then I finally, I mean, it was probably only five minutes, but it feels like an eternity, found this little boy with wide eyes looking for his mommy, and I found him, and we were all so glad. But man, It is hard to be a parent. I have a lot of fears being a parent um, that we cannot protect our kids. I mean, it's enough to leave me curled up in a fetal position underneath the table saying, God, why does this blessing of parenthood also come with all of these fears? Do you have any fears about your kids? I mean, I wonder um, if you've got kids or grandkids or maybe nieces and nephews or just little people in your life that you love and adore and care so much about. I mean, this world is a frightful place. I mean, what are the times that you have feared in your life? Is that when you have sent them off to school and had to entrust strangers to your children's care? Um, How about um, if you've ever had a kid with a fever in the middle of the night and it just keeps getting higher and higher and you don't know what to do and you are afraid. Maybe nowadays you can get a text or an email from the school saying your school is in lockdown and you can't do anything. It is a frightful experience. Um, How about just thinking about how in the world are we going to afford braces? How are we going to afford college? That can be a scary thing. 
Maybe there's times in a parent's life that you find things that you didn't intend to find. Maybe you find drugs in your kid's bedroom. Maybe you find porn on their phone and you don't know how to handle that situation and you are afraid. What do I do? Maybe you get to a place where your kids have made a bad choice or maybe they've chosen friendships that are unwise and unhelpful to them. Maybe your child has chosen a spouse that you're feeling a little nervous about. That's not the person that you would have chosen for your child. Parenting is scary. What kind of fears do you have for your child? Now, here's the good news. Fortunately, we are not the first group of parents to ever have had fears for our children. Do you know that even first century parents in the Bible had fears for their children? Now, first century fears for their kids may have looked a little bit differently than ours. First century parents, they wondered if they could actually just put food on the table on a daily basis. They probably were nervous if another nation might even come and conquer them and enslave their people group. They might have even had fears that... um, that their kid may not be able to worship God in a free and public place. Um, They had all kinds of fears um, that maybe aren't the same as our fears, but they still felt that kind of emotion. Well, the good news is the Bible is so good about addressing the issues that we still face today. The Bible is so relevant to those feelings that still grip our heart and our soul. And one of the stories is found in Luke 2. So if you want to turn to Luke 2 with me, um, we're going to be reading this story that starts in verse 41. Now Luke, who wrote this text, he was a physician. So that means that through his eyes, he looked at things as a doctor would. He looked with precision and clarity and detail and gives us a lot of those details in the story, which I love um, to read about. So this story that we're going to read today um, and, and learn from, it talks about a time when Jesus was only 12 years old. And his parents, named Mary and Joseph, they had brought Jesus into a very large city called Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was one of the main gathering places for the Jews. And God had initiated a festival for the Jews called the Festival of the Passover. Now, this was a party that they would do every year to celebrate something that God had done in the Old Testament. It was a part of their heritage where God had freed the slaves from uh, Egypt and Moses was their leader and brought them out of captivity. And so God initiated this festival so that they would always remember what God had done. And so God said, gather everybody together in Jerusalem for this party. You should eat, you should drink, and you should tell the story so that all generations remember the faithfulness of God. And so as they came into Jerusalem, it wasn't just Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. It would have been all the brothers and sisters, all the aunts and uncles, all the grandmas and grandpas, all the pets, the whole household of animals. I mean, they traveled together. It was a huge caravan. So when we read this story, we recognize that as Jesus got lost, sometimes we read it through our 21st century eyes, and we're like, why couldn't they see Jesus wasn't with them? But it was a community that traveled together, and so um, it would have been a little bit easier for Jesus to get lost. Okay, so let's dive in. 
Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. And thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and among their friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, after three days, they found him. Okay, did you catch that? Three days Jesus was lost. If I lose my kids for three minutes, I start freaking out. If I've lost them for three hours, I am panicked. I am a mess. Three days they could not find Jesus. Now, not only was this their son, this was the son of God that they lost. The one and only son of God that Mary and Jesus lost. Now, I can't help but imagine the emotions that Mary um, must have been feeling in those three days as they wandered and searched through Jerusalem looking for Jesus, wondering where he was, if he was okay, if they would see him again. can only imagine that does something to you when you've lost your child for three days. And I wonder if that was something that God was doing to prepare in her heart for 20 years in the future, when Jesus would go to the cross, and for three days, she would wait in an agonizing time of what would happen to her son when she had lost him again. See, for three days, Jesus was crucified, and he was buried in the tomb, and then she waited. And I can only imagine she must have thought, oh, if only she could go to the cross, if only she could bear that pain, if only she could be the one that would be um, tortured and persecuted so her son would not have to bear that. And I imagine that maybe Jesus said, Mom, this time you can't save me. Mom, this time I'm going to save you, and I need to save everyone. Mom, you can't do it this time. But as he went to the grave, he rose again in three days to show that he was mighty and powerful over sin and death. And the resurrection must have been that joyous occasion for Mary when her son was found. And not only was her son found, all of humanity had the opportunity to become found as well. But back to when Jesus was 12, the first time that he got lost— Scripture tells us that his parents found him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they thought, no big deal. We see this all the time. No, what does Scripture say? They were astonished. Jesus was playing with the big boys here, right? He had gone into the temple courts where the teachers hung out, where the teachers would teach, and he was doing something that astonished his parents. Now, have you ever had something happen when your child astonished you? Maybe when they took their first step, or maybe they said their first word, or maybe they went to school by themselves with their little backpack for the first time, or maybe they got their driver's license, or maybe they graduated from school. 
maybe their first date, their first job, um, maybe that first time they said, hey mom, hey dad, I have someone really special I want you to meet. That time that they got married or they had their first child, all these firsts that are so amazing and astonishing. And this was one that Mary and Joseph got to behold as Jesus was making this transition into becoming from a child to a teacher that everyone was astonished with. So they were astonished, but then reality set in. Let's look at scripture. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So in the Greek, this is how it really should have been translated. Jesus, insert middle name, son of Joseph of Bethlehem, son of the Almighty God, what the heck do you think you were doing? Why did you run away from us? You realize we were looking for you? We have put out an amber alert. The entire Jerusalem police force is looking for you. Where have you been? Son, you are grounded. So that's the Greek, more or less. A little rough translation there. <clears throat> okay, so the scripture goes on to say, um, Jesus responded to his mom and said, why were you searching for me? He asked, and I imagine his parents just pausing and looking at him like, because we love you, because we're your parents, because we're a family, because you belong with us, we will always come look for you. And scripture goes on to say, Jesus said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, Jesus was 12 years old, y'all. So I'm wondering if there was a little eye roll going along with that. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? But he was Jesus, and so even at the age of 12, Jesus had begun to do something to redirect his parents. Jesus came to God first. Jesus was in God's house, and I can't help but think Mary and Joseph had done something right as parents because they had directed Jesus to go to God first. And I wonder if perhaps God was using this moment to use Jesus to remind his parents that when they fear, that they too should go to God first. Maybe God is reminding all of us as parents, when you fear, go to God first. Can you say that with me? When you fear, go to God first. So in light of this story in the Bible, how does this intersect with our lives? What does this mean tomorrow when you wake up and you stare at the face of your child and those knots form in your stomach? Or you look at their pictures or you remember something that they're doing and those knots form in your stomach because you are afraid for something that they have to face or a decision that they may make. When you fear, go to God first. Now, when you came in today, you were given a, a piece of ribbon, and I wonder if you would just take this out with me and maybe think about um, your, each of your children, and for each child of yours, maybe tie a knot. And as you think of their name, maybe think of a fear that you have for them. Maybe this would be a, um, a niece or a nephew or a child that you are close with, uh, maybe a brother or sister. Um, and you tie this knot, and you think of a fear that you have for their lives, it's amazing how we can be filled with so much love for someone, but also have so much fear. But I believe that God does not want fear to be what runs the motivation for our parenting. In fact, I think fear is from the enemy, and sometimes fear is used to inhibit our parenting. I recently have come across a picture that has been um, one of the most beautiful and convicting images that I think I've ever seen as a parent. And um, it's just very simply a picture of a plastic tub. <laughs> 
And it's a tub that is filled with the prayer journals of this child's mom's prayers for this child. And amidst the busyness, the chaos, the overwhelming schedule that we face as moms and as parents, this mom made it a priority to go to God first and take these fears for each of her children and write them down strategically, specifically, with intent and with power, going to God first with those fears. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I wonder if you might take your knotted ribbon home with you today and put it somewhere where it would be a reminder to you that when those knots start to form in your stomach, that instead of letting those fears grip your life, that you would tie those fears to Jesus. And remember that our Jesus is someone who is more powerful and able to give more wisdom than any other source in this world. And I wonder today, even if you are not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're just beginning to check out the claims of Jesus, that maybe you too would offer this to God and that you would talk and you would speak these fears to God. And even if you don't know if God hears you, I believe God will hear you. And this might be just for um, just a time this week that you could try this exercise of releasing those fears to God. When you fear, go to God first. Now, I made up these um, little cards, and we've got them at the north doors as you leave and the south doors. I've got some down here in the front row if this would be helpful to you. It just says, when you fear, go to God first. And on the back, it has Philippians 4, 6. And I wonder if this might be a helpful exercise just to take this home with you. And for every day this week, just seven days, say this three times. And I just wonder if in one week God could use this powerful scripture to remind us to go to God first when we fear. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up. And as they do that, you'll see in your program that there's a a list of um, just some suggestions that I've put together for you. And maybe one of these things would be something that would be helpful to you as you um, commit to um, being someone who wants to go to God first with your fears. And I wonder if together we could be a generation of moms, we could be a generation of dads, we could be a generation of parents, a generation of families who go to God first with our fears. That instead of going to our friends first, instead of going to Facebook first, instead of going to a self-help book first, that we could be a generation that claims that we believe that there is power in Jesus and when we fear, we will go to God first. God, thank you so much for the chance to um, really um, celebrate moms today and think about parenting. I'm so grateful for this story. I'm thankful that even the parents of Jesus lost him one time and that um, we can find great hope, Lord, that you invite us to run to you um, with our fears. Um, So God, we celebrate that you are an amazing God and that you always love us. Um, Thank you for that, Jesus. And we just pray all this in your name. Amen.